Welcome to the fourth episode of The Osborne Man. I am your host, Holly Hazard. This week, we highlight three letters, one from John to Sue, one from John's company to Sue, and one from the company to John, exploring the odd, at least in this day and age, relationship between the wives of the Osborne Company salesman and the company. John has now been in the company for three years. The Osborne Art Calendar Company was founded in the late 1800s with the marketing strategy of selling not cheap advertising calendars to businesses to hand out to customers, but large calendars on high-quality paper with scenes commissioned from accomplished artists of trains or dogs or Victorian women that people might display in their living room as pieces of art. This way, the business wouldn't just be advertising to the wife who might place a calendar in the kitchen, but to all the guests who might visit the home over the year. The company was a huge success as, through the first half of the 20th century, virtually everyone had a calendar or two hanging through their home. The company also had a strategy for the families of the salesmen. They were considered part of the sales force. The wives were courted and branded fire builders, and at least Sue often wrote directly to John's boss, the secretary of the company, Mr. Miller, about John's sales and suggestions for how the company might do better. The company held a convention in Atlantic City each year where wives and families would meet. In later years, Marion, John's eldest daughter, even contemplates attending the convention in Washington, D.C. with her father and uncle, who was also a salesman for the company. At the start of 1909, the Osborne Company has launched a contest for its salesman, a walrus bag, and John seems determined to win it. And now, today's letters. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Friday, January 1st, 1909. My darling Susie, you are just the dearest girl in all the world, and that's all about it. I thought you had been pretty good and thoughtful about writing to me, but when I got your dear letter at Carbondale this morning and found you had sent two letters to Scranton, General Delivery, my heart was just full. I did not get back to Scranton until 1.30, but happened to catch a clerk so I could get them. You can't understand, Sue, how you cheer me by those little love notes. When you write so often, they don't have to be long. You just tell me what I want to know. And the bulletins are a great help and stimulus. But you just beat them all. Don't give up, but keep that same buoyant spirit and continue to cheer me and urge me in the fight. And when the year rolls round, we'll have the best bank account we've ever had. If we only look at those things right and use our money right, these things are worthwhile. Don't be frightened, but it is possible that I cannot reach home until early train DLNW Sunday morning. But I'll be there Sunday, the Lord willing, and will bask in the sunlight of your smiling presence. If I think there's a possible show of doing $25 worth of business here by staying until 6 o'clock train, I shall do it. We are in a great fight and must make good. I send you this, and so it will not be necessary to send telegram in case I remain over. If I get home Saturday, we had better plan to go to Uncle Ace's funeral. Otherwise, I think it will be best to rest, period. Don't think I shall leave for Hornell until the late train Sunday night, but that will keep me up all night will do as you think best. 
Say, I'm going to put a stop to that correspondence between you and Mr. Miller. Had a splendid dinner, got into the dining room just before the doors were closed. Be sure to open all the mail that comes to me, and whatever should be forwarded to the company, do so at once. I think Clayton is making a good stand and want to see him succeed. We'll plan to see him and offer some suggestions about shoring up the line. It has been as quiet as Sunday here today, and yet have not allowed myself to get blue or lonesome. It doesn't pay in January. It is now five o'clock, and I shall retire early for good rest and for tomorrow, and hope even in this time to avoid a skunk tomorrow. And feeling fine, your one faithful Jack. P.S. Have a miserable boil on the side of my neck, which is giving me some discomfort. New letter from the Osborne Company secretary, December twenty-ninth, nineteen o eight. To Mrs. J. A. Briggs, Earlville, New York. We have received your enthusiastic letter of last night, and it is a delight to get such from you. We know that Mr. Briggs is going at a swift pace, and if the convention did as much for you personally as it did for us down here, that is, put you so heartily in sympathy with him, and so much on fire with the opportunity, then your joy and delight in the success of the year will be as great as that of any of us. It's a great year. We have already received reports from 28 men who on their first day have averaged nearly $400 each, and we haven't heard from Mr. Briggs yet either. That's the greatest kickoff we have ever had, and we are confident that Mr. Briggs will bring up his share. With sincere thanks for your splendid letter, we are, very truly yours, the Osborne Company, C. Miller, Secretary. Second new letter. From the Osborne Company Secretary, January 9th, 1909. To Mrs. J. A. Briggs, Earlville, New York. Dear Mrs. Briggs, I have just received your note of the 7th from Binghamton and I want to say to you, to use the language of the prize ring, that we, Mr. Briggs' backers, cannot express too strongly our feeling about the way you, his handler, are supporting him. If anything on earth could put him in condition and keep him keyed up to battle pits, you surely could do it. I almost regret that you are not running with the ball. You'd make a touchdown sure. Nevertheless, perhaps it is a consolation to know that they also serve who only stand and wait, and their service is sometimes of a higher quality. Yours sincerely, C.W. Miller, Secretary. Third and final letter from the company secretary to Mr. Briggs. Dear Mr. Briggs, I have just read yours of the 11th about a slow start on Monday. Never mind one day. It takes more than that to stop you. We're not stopping either, in our ordering of that walrus stuffing for your bag. And you have simply got to win it, for our sake, for your own sake, but I honestly believe, most of all, for Mrs. Briggs' sake. While I am writing, just as a word of news, the records so far indicate that last week is going to beat even that wonderful first week of the year. 
It ought to do it, and I believe it will. It's simply a great year for Osborne men. Yours sincerely, C. Miller, Secretary. As promised, this week's letters hinted at a very different relationship between businesses and the families of their professional employees from 1920s to today. You have to wonder at the lost opportunities for those men and women, of course, who didn't fit into the picture of a traditional family with a man out in the workforce, a loving wife at home caring for the house, kids, and in this case, the family farm. In this week's episode, John and the Osborne Company's secretary are narrated by Mike Sternad. Next week, John will attend the 1921 Osborne Company Convention at Atlantic City and marvel at the new Penn Station just opening on the day John travels through New York City. For more information on the life and times of John Briggs and his family and the complete library of letters transcribed to date, please visit and subscribe to theosborneman.com. If you liked this episode, you can help grow the podcast by rating it on Apple Podcasts, commenting, and of course, sharing with friends. This podcast is produced by Holly Hazard. Music is provided by Escalante Music from Pond 5. Thank you for listening. <laughs>